Hi to all my listeners out there, and thank you for joining me for a post-game episode of the Saber Talk podcast. This is Mark Ice, your host, and I'm happy to talk about a 2-1 to victory for the Sabres tonight. It's always great to beat a divisional rival, especially to beat them on the road, and one that the Sabres do have a pretty intense recent history with in the Senators. I know the Senators have only been around for less than 25 years, but... At the same time, that's plenty plenty of time to really build up a substantial rivalry. Uh, so to go in on their home ice and, and win is great. And I'm sure for Tim Murray, it's a lot of fun because that's his former organization, uh, one of his former organizations. For Robin Leonard to go back and be able to beat the team that traded him away to the Sabres. Derek Grant was previously in the Senators organization. Uh, Nick Baptiste is from the Ottawa area. So uh, it was a it was a good win overall. It was a good greasy type of road win. I'm not going to say that the Sabers had a had a positive performance or that this is something that they're going to be thinking about later in the season as a model performance. But these are the types of games that you have to win over an 82 game season, and it's similar to what I said about the Minnesota Wild game last week, where the Sabers were able to come out on top. It was another two to one victory. Those are, those are the types of games you have to win if you want to be there at the end of the season, if you want to be in that playoff race. You're going to get outplayed some nights. I think that Minnesota Wild game was more uh, you know, was more of a toss-up than this game was. I think Ottawa generally outplayed the Sabres. If you look at, in terms of Corsi, the Sabres outplayed the Senators. You know, shots on goal were even slightly in favor of the Sabres. But if you looked at all those stats, it looked like, if anything, the Sabres may have slightly outplayed the Senators. But in terms of scoring chances and high-quality scoring chances, Ottawa was firmly ahead. And part of that is the Sabres missing two of their most important players up front. And so it's tougher to turn possession into goals when you're missing those those important players. And Ottawa is missing Clark MacArthur, but they do have many more of their horses up front. So it makes more sense that they're going to get more high-quality scoring opportunities with the possession that they have. But Robin Leonard had a fantastic game, and I've got to start by talking about him. And he performed very well against the Senators last year as well. So hopefully this is a pattern, because obviously getting... Getting wins against divisional divisional opponents is extremely important. Now with the way the divisions are set up, you're playing so much of your schedule against your division. And Ottawa is right in that fringe bucket with the Sabres, where Ottawa is one of those teams you're probably going to have to outplay in order to make the playoffs this year. And maybe moving forward as well. It'll be interesting to see how the whole division shakes out. And you've got to think that Buffalo is on the upswing and Toronto's on the upswing. So the division may look very different soon. Right now you've got Tampa kind of as the top dog. And then Florida and Montreal are probably the, the next two teams, even though Montreal did just lose 10 to nothing. But they've had a great start to the season besides that one blemish. Uh, and then you have a bunch of teams kind of in that mix. And the Sabres are in that mix. The Senators are in that mix. The Red Wings are in that mix. The Bruins are in that mix. The Leafs are in that mix. All those teams conceivably have a shot at making the playoffs and being able to squeak in, assuming that four teams make it out of out of this division, out of the Atlantic division. Uh, so it'll be it'll be an interesting race, and these are the games you have to win. Like I said, if you if you want to be there at the end, if you don't want to fall out of this race, which looks like it will be close. I know I'm extrapolating what's happened over a 10, 11, 12 game 
beginning to the season. I'm already extrapolating, but we're already more than an eighth of the way through the season. So we already do start to see the hierarchies sorting themselves out, and it looks like all these teams are going to be relatively even. Uh, So great performance for Leonard. He made some pretty incredible saves. I think that one where he was diving across where he was beat, Jake McCabe got got uh, dangled out of his jock strap, and then Leonard kind of committed and tried to cut off the angle, and he was out of position as well, but he was able to dive across and save it with the end of his stick. Uh, that was an awesome save, and he made some other really, really nice Point Blake saves. And that may have been his best game as a Sabre. I don't think you you can really argue against have somebody want to say that was his best game as a Sabre. He had some very good performances last year, and he had... He had a couple stretches of great play, but I think this game was probably his best as a Sabre. It's one of the one of the few that I can really think of that he stole the game when you think of all the chances that the Senators had. Once again, if you're just looking at Corsi and just looking at shots on goal numbers, you may not think that the Sabres got thoroughly outplayed, uh, but in terms of high-quality scoring chances, they certainly did. And if you saw those chances, you would think the Sabres would not have come out with a victory tonight. Now, the Sabres did play pretty well in the third period, did outplay the Senators in the third, and I would have been very disappointed as a Senators fan with the way that they came out in the third period. They had a four-minute power play in the third, and they just weren't really able to get those high-quality chances in the third like they were able to through the first two periods. And the Sabres came alive. That's where you started to see Ryan O'Reilly take over. I thought he had a fantastic performance, and he was pretty good from start to finish. Played over 22 minutes again. And this guy just does it every night. And you you always do worry, kind of like what happened last year, that he's going to fall apart down the stretch just because of the huge minutes that he plays. He's out there in every situation. He's he's the go-to guy. But I'm hoping that once Jack Eichel's back, it won't be 22, 23 minutes a game anymore. Maybe it's closer to 20, 21, and Eichel's able to take some of that pressure off of him, and they're able to have Eichel in more of a in, in a higher level, higher leverage role, probably compared to what he was last year. I don't think he's going to be the defensive center you lean on by any means, and that's not the ideal way to play Jack Eichel. So obviously O'Reilly's still going to have his role as you know, the go-to guy in the defensive zone and still on the first power play in the first, still first penalty kill unit. But um, I think Eichel will be able to ease his use a little bit. And hopefully we start to see Eichel become more of that complete player this year because you really did start to see him figure it out offensively last year. And we all know the skill that he has, uh, but hopefully this year he can start to show that defensive side of his game once he's back and that O'Reilly no longer will have to necessarily play 22, 23 minutes a night like he's had to do recently. But you've got to think he's the next captain of this team. Nobody else has really made a good argument for it, in my opinion. And O'Reilly has done absolutely everything you could possibly ask for him and more. I think he's exceeded anybody's expectations. I did have the privilege of watching him quite a bit in Colorado, and I always liked his game a whole lot. And I thought, this would be a player I'd love to see in Buffalo. I was a little apprehensive about the trade because there wasn't a contract extension as part of the trade, but then soon after they were able to get him locked up. I think that was a nice deal, and I liked it when it happened. I liked it. I like it even more now. I think it's 
more than fair for what he brings and for the for the echelon of centers that I think he's in. And I think he's starting to get a little bit more recognition playing on the East Coast, uh, you know, playing against more of these Canadian teams than he was when he was out in Colorado where he's playing later at night, not playing as many games against the most popular teams in the league. And I think players out on the West Coast do get a little bit ignored by the East Coast media and the East Coast media is at the center of the NHL media. It's just kind of how it is. That's where the most population is, where the most hockey fans are in Canada, I mean and in the in the US as well. So it's bound to happen that way. But I think O'Reilly's starting to get more recognition. And he's the leader of this team, just watching them. Uh, but I have to imagine in the locker room it's very similar that he's a player that everybody else looks to and that he's an example for all of them to follow. I know there's some other good leaders on the team, but you you know Brian Gianta probably will retire after this year. I'd be surprised if he continues to play. If he does continue to play, he's not going to be able to make nearly the money that he's made on this contract. Uh, Josh Georges is kind of nearing the end of the line. He's he's had a career where he, he's a lot of wear and tear, blocked a lot of shots. He's maximized what he's been able to get out of his skill set. He was undrafted. Uh, so I don't think he has much left in the tank either. And you can see, based on the numbers he's putting up this year, he's definitely no longer a top four defenseman. I don't think he was last year either. Um, but he's declining quickly. So you got to think he's probably gone once his contract is up after next year. And then there's not really another leader that comes to mind that that's going to be the captain of this team. Ryan O'Reilly is the first one that you think of, and I think he's got to be the next captain of this team. And the way he started this year, he's picked up really right where he left off after most of next year. I did talk about down the stretch him faltering a little bit, I think, due to overuse, but that was bound to happen. It was explainable. It wasn't, you know, it it, it didn't come out of nowhere. So fantastic performance from him. I wanted to make sure that, that – uh, he got a shout-out here. I also was very impressed with Jake McCabe. I think that he, you can make an argument, he's been the Sabres' best defenseman thus far. And we started to see Ristolainen come to life. I talked about him uh, last game. You're starting to see the snarl come out of him. And he's looking more like the number one defenseman that the Sabres locked up. But McCabe, I think, has taken a huge leap. And he's now somebody that you can count on. He looks far more confident. With his skating ability, he can be very aggressive and not get caught. And I think that's one of the things I was noticing tonight with how good he was. Just his willingness. He's not hesitating for a split second before making decisions. He's making those decisions and then trusting himself to, you know, even even if maybe it doesn't work out perfectly, he knows he's able to get back into position if necessary. He's never going to be a big offensive threat. Or anything like that, but I'm talking more about you know making the decision to challenge somebody rushing the puck or being willing to tighten the gap to you know only a few feet, only a couple feet. He's been willing to do that more and more because he knows he's got the feet to be able to pull it off, and it's worked well for him. And I think the Sabres need more of that. They need more of that aggressive play from their defense. That's what they haven't had enough of, and you know losing Zach Bogosian makes it that much more difficult to see that play consistently. But I think McCabe stepping up has really masked 
a lot of the issues that the Sabres should be having due to the now the Bogosian injury and then just due to the poor defensive depth on this team in general and having to rely on a declining Georgius, having to rely on Cody Franson, and now having to rely on Casey Nelson, all of whom are, you know, fringe NHL defensemen at this point in time. We now have to have three of them in the lineup. It's difficult. And so you need McCabe to be playing his A game every night. You need Ristolainen to be playing his A game every night. You need Dmitry Kulikov to be playing his A game. So that was great to see from McCabe, and I think it's a continuation of what we've seen from him for most of this year. Not that he's been perfect every game, but I think on average he's taken a very substantial leap forward from where he was for most of last year. And luckily he responded well to being thrown to the Wolves last year. You know, Very few organizations would have thrown a guy in his position into the type of minutes and into the type into the role that he had to play last year, you know, being leaned on as a top four guy from the start just because of the Sabres' weakness on the left side. And he's responded the right way. You never know, is somebody going to, if they struggle for periods of time, are they? is it going to be irreparable, whatever damage is done? Some players do respond that way and they never recover. But McCabe has, you know, taken that as a learning experience and now it looks like he's here to stay as a top four defenseman and that you're going to see far fewer poor games from him. He's really learned a lot in a pretty short period of time when it comes to NHL defensemen. Um, I'll also talk about Kyle Oposo at another goal tonight. He's on that Ryan O'Reilly line. That duo was fantastic once again, and Oposo continues to be worth all the money that this team spent on him. He's He's been perfect. You know, He and, he, he and O'Reilly have fit like a glove and they have been carrying Matt Molson as a passenger for a lot of the season. Tonight, though, Molson did get demoted. Marcus Felino got promoted up to that top line, so it became Felino, O'Reilly, Oposo. And I thought Felino had a very nice game. And it's taken him a while, but I think we now see Marcus Felino having more good games than bad. I think he's always going to have a little bit of that inconsistency in him where some nights he's not all there. He's not making the impact that you expect. But I talked about this in the on the prior podcast. You're not seeing that 8 out of every 10 games now. You might see that one or tw- once or twice out of every 10 games. Whereas the other 8 or 9 games, he's bringing his physicality. He's he's a good possession forward. You know, he's he's doing the little things that you need to do to be a quality top nine forward at the NHL level. So I thought he had a great game tonight, and he deserved that promotion. Molson really struggled. And if you look at the numbers that they ended up with, so Molson still played about 16 minutes tonight. And I had said before that O'Reilly played just over 22 minutes, uh, and then uh, Kyle Oposo played 17 minutes. So, and most of that disparity was due to penalty kill time, O'Reilly getting a lot of penalty kill time. So it wasn't until later in the game that Molson was demoted. But still, if you look at the Corsi numbers, Oposo and O'Reilly were up near the top of the team. So for at, uh, at, at even strength, O'Reilly had 73% Corsi 4. So they had uh, 24 Corsi 4, 9 against when O'Reilly was on the ice at even strength. Oposo is 22-4, 24, 
nine against, so 71% for him. But then Molson was way down at, at 11-4, 13 against, so only at 46%, uh, Corsi 4. And that goes to show that once Molson was removed, those two, their play elevated because they played a lot of that game with Molson on their wing. And so that there's that much of a disparity between them is pretty telling. And then Felino actually ended up with a higher Corsi 4 percentage than either O'Reilly or Oposo. So I, it confirms what you saw once Felino went onto that line, that line came alive and they looked far more dangerous. Uh, so Felino having a, uh, he had a 77% Corsi 4 in this game, uh, Corsi 4 percentage, 27-4, 8 against. So it confirms what you see, and that's how I like to use these advanced stats. I don't really follow them necessarily throughout the game, but you really can think, okay, when did that O'Reilly line look its most dangerous? And it was in the third period. Of course, the whole team looked its most dangerous in the third period, but I think a big reason why the team looks so dangerous is because of those line changes where Felino was promoted, and now that line can come alive. They don't have to drag Molson around anymore. And Molson has been a revelation, I think, in terms of his impact on the power play. Of course, he's not going to continue to produce at anything near this rate, and I would be happy with 10 to 15 goals out of him for this whole year. He's already got four of them, so I'm hoping for 15. Uh, But I'm sure a vast majority of those will come on the power play, and I would love to not see him weigh down one of these higher lines anymore. Having O'Reilly and Oposa right now and, and with their level of play, I don't want them being held back. I don't want them having to pull along somebody else as a passenger. Now, is it ideal to have Marcus Foligno on your first line? No, absolutely not. But when you're missing Evander Kane and Jack Eichel, there are going to be spots in your lineup where you don't have the ideal player in that position. So I don't necessarily want to break up that Foligno, Larson, Gianta line long term, but this combination worked, and I really wouldn't mind seeing it going into next game because Flino had a great game tonight. He's really had a great season, and I think you see Molson's play tailing off at even strength. He had a poor performance tonight at even strength, so it makes sense. Beyond that, I will discuss William Carrier's first NHL game, and now he... Now, he didn't play a lot of minutes. He was only out there for just under six and a half minutes. So it wasn't enough time to make a huge impact on the game. But I did like what I saw. And he's been touted as somebody that should be able to fill a third or fourth line role, bring some speed to the table, some tenacity, and be one of those glue guys that you want in your bottom six. And I think he came as advertised. And I could see him carving out a role maybe even by the end of the season. Of course, when everyone's healthy, they're not going to have to rely on these young wingers from Rochester as much. So he very likely will be pushed out. But I think he will be up here sooner rather than later because he can fill that third or fourth line role. And that is one of the nice things about what they have in this organization in terms of upfront um, upfront prospects. They do have Alex Nylander, who projects as a top six guy. He's very skilled, one of the most skilled players from this this past year's draft, and one of the most skilled forward prospects the Sabres have had in a long time. But be, but below him, everybody else is kind of, they look like 
a mid, they look like middle six type wingers, and they have the skills to be able to contribute in a bottom six role if necessary. And you see Nick Baptiste, who's currently up here. He's a guy that's like that. He was able to score goals in juniors. Uh, he showed some scoring touchdown in the minors, but he brings speed and he can get it on the forecheck. Uh, and I think that can be an asset in a bottom six role. Carrier, like I just said, he's got the same thing. He brings speed to the table. He's got some size, can get in on the forecheck, uh, can be tenacious. That fits well in a bottom six role. Justin Bailey, yes, he's he's probably got more offensive skill than the other two, can put the puck in the net more, has had a, probably has a longer development curve than some of these other players. But I think he does have the talents to be able to contribute in a third-line role as well. Yeah, he can put the puck in the net, but he's fast. He's got some size. He's put on more weight, too, so he's not quite as gangly as he was. And he can he can be on that third line where he's only expected to put up 10 to 15 goals in a season but can bring other things to the table as well. Hudson Fashing also, you hope that he turns into a top-six winger. But even if his offense never really comes, you think with his size and his ability to protect the puck, he can be an asset on a third or fourth line as well. So that's one of the positives about the forward depth in this organization and trying to take some positives out of the injuries to start the season that you may be able to get a look at these guys where maybe otherwise you wouldn't have been able to. And these are the players they're going to be depending on in the future to fill roles cheaply as they've got to commit more and more money to the core as they've got to commit money to Jack Eichel, commit money to Sam Reinhart, and they're already paying Ristolainen, Oposo, O'Reilly pretty decent sums of money, and they may look to lock up Kulikov as well. Uh, so that's been one positive, I guess, of the injuries. If you're trying to look at if you're trying to look at things on the bright side, we've gotten a look at at these players, and I think it looks like their development is on track and that these are going to be NHL players that are going to be able to fill a role here. Now, do we know what role exactly? I'm not sure yet. It's going to depend on how much further can they progress down in the minors. And I do hope that they get considerable more time down there and they don't have to be relied on full-time at the NHL level quite yet. But I think Carrier had a good – he made a good first impression, and we will be seeing a lot more of him. Uh, Derek Grant, similarly, I thought had a pretty good game. He played 13 minutes. He's not getting power play any time anymore, which I like a lot. I don't think he fit at all in the power play. Doesn't have the skill to do it at the NHL level. But now he's just playing the, the penalty kill and centering the fourth line. I think he's looked a lot better. And it kind of reminds me of what happened with Brian Gianta last year. He started out, they, they were trying to stick him into a top six role playing next to Jack Eichel and he didn't fit there and I was very critical of him but once they moved him down the lineup once Bilesman moved him down the lineup and put him on the third line he was able to find his niche and be quite effective so sometimes that's all you need is just some pressure removed and then you can find your spot in the lineup and there's nothing wrong with needing less responsibility in order to be successful it just means somebody else is going to have to take on that responsibility but I thought he looked pretty good tonight as well and he and Carrier fed off each other obviously Baptiste as well I thought that was a, a relatively effective fourth line it was a good night out of your fourth line 
and you don't come into any any game having super expectations out of your fourth line. But the fact that they were noticeable is a good thing. I also should discuss the Zemgis Gurgensons, Sam Reinhart, Tyler Ennis line. And that line's kind of become the second scoring line, the secondary scoring line, and really the third line in terms of ice time, whereas the Larson line has gotten leaned on in defensive situations, and the O'Reilly line is the number one line. You know, with your two best forwards going right now in O'Reilly and Oposo, that's become the number one all-situations line. I did think Gergensen's had one of his better performances of the year, had a little more snarl, was going directly to the net more than he typically would. Uh, Reinhardt got a goal, so that was nice to see. He, he needs to start scoring, and I definitely was expecting more in terms of offensive production out of him, especially while Jack Eichel was out of the lineup. But uh, Tyler Ennis was pretty disappointing, and I thought he didn't look good tonight. There's not really another way to put it. I thought he'd skated pretty well the last handful of games, and I was cautiously optimistic, but I thought he struggled tonight. Uh, wasn't really doing anything with the puck on his stick. Uh, wasn't dangerous offensively. And for this team to score, that secondary scoring line is going to have to put the puck in the net. And I know that Reinhardt did score, uh, but I still don't think this line's getting consistent enough pressure in the offensive zone. And they get very favorable uh, starting position on the ice. You know, offensive zone starts typically are 60% plus, you know, whereas the Larson line oftentimes might be 30% or less. They're starting most of the time in the defensive zone. And tonight, I think all of them were at somewhere in the 60% Reinhardt, Gergensen's, and Ennis in terms of um, offensive zone starts. Once again, the Corsi numbers kind of confirm what I said, where I thought that Reinhardt and Gergensen's had generally at least okay games. I wouldn't say they were off the charts. Uh, and Ennis was the weak link. Ennis was about 39%. Corsi, 4 percentage. Had 7, 4, 11 against during this game. And then Reinhardt, 16, 4, 10 against. So 62% Corsi, 4. And Gergensen was at 52%. 11, 4, 10 against. Uh, and once again, those are all even strength numbers. But you're getting back to where a lot of people have harped on Sometimes unfairly, Molson and Ennis, due to their contracts, and due to how long their contracts run and the money this team's invested in them, more is expected out of them. So sometimes I think that they're unfairly scapegoated. But tonight, I thought they both did not look good. Molson was demoted. Uh, Ennis wasn't leaned on late in the game either. Uh, so both of them, they lived up to the fans' expectations or lack of expectations tonight. And I think all the criticism that they will get from those fans, some people will say every game they're disappointed in both of those two, which I guess, yeah, compared to what they're paid most games, it is a disappointment what they bring. But some games it's a true disappointment. Some games they play adequate and uh, they probably don't deserve all the heat that they get. But tonight they did. I thought they were two of the weakest links for the Sabres. And that was a big reason why I think the Senators – outplayed the Sabres for a good portion of this game. I also did want to talk about the broadcast. So Martin Baran has become 
at least a temporary part of the broadcast. And Rob Ray wasn't on the broadcast. I didn't look into why that was. They may have said at some point in the pregame, I pretty much started watching right when the game started. So I don't know if they ever said what was going on with Ray, but it was Dan Dunleavy and Martin Baron tonight. And I, I like what Baron brings. And I think ideally you would have Baron be the primary color guy and then have Ray be the between the benches. And you can go to him probably more than other teams would go to their between the benches guy. But I think that's far better than the system they've had where it's just either RJ and Dunleavy and then Ray down between the benches. And I don't think Ray has enough to say or provides enough analysis to really be a full-time color guy. And his analysis is always the same. It's always about the Sabres need to simplify their game, get the pucks in deep, skate hard, work hard. You know, It's always that type of same recycled, rhetorical type of uh, analysis that he brings. And he'll come alive when there's a fight or some sort of fisticuffs. That's when you'll see his real analysis come out. But he doesn't really say much about the actual nitty-gritty of the game, whereas Baran is much more likely to do that. And, of course, he's a little bit goaltending-centric, which is natural. That's what he knows best. But I think he does just know the game and is able to articulate himself far better than Ray is. So I hope that Baran is a, is a more regular part of the broadcast. I mean, I think they've done a good job bringing in Brian Duff. I think that was a nice addition. He does a very good job. I've come to like Brad May quite a bit on the intermission reports and on the post-game show. Um, so I think Baran could be another high-level addition for this broadcast and continuing to improve this broadcast. I think with all the money they've obviously put into it, I think it is kind of a disservice to have Rob Ray be the sole color voice on the broadcast. So hopefully he's he's a more regular part uh, Martin Baron, that is. And hopefully we see him more moving forward. Uh, beyond that, I think that's everything that I've got to say about this game. The Sabres are in action next, Monday night. Bills are also playing Monday night, but they're playing, uh, they're playing the Bruins in Boston. Um, Bruins, similar start to the season as the Sabres. Sabres are at 5-4-2. The Bruins are at 6-5 right now. Uh, I talked earlier about how the Bruins are kind of in that fringe playoff mix with the Sabres trying to battle for probably that last spot in the Atlantic division, assuming that four teams make it out of the Atlantic. So this will be another nice division, uh, divisional matchup, and it's always fun playing in Boston. These two teams have a long history. I hate the Bruins. I love beating the Bruins, hate losing to the Bruins, and we've gotten to see some nice playoff battles between these teams. So it's always nice to go in there and get a win. Even during the tank years, being able to give Boston a loss was probably the most satisfying besides being able to beat the Leafs. Beating the Leafs is always number one for me, and I think it's going to continue to be because of now Austin Matthews being in the mix and these two rebuilds always being compared. But Brad Marchand is this team's probably premier offensive player. He's picked up right where he left off last year at 37 goals last year already has 13 points to start this year David Pasternak has had a great start to this year really probably the the premier young player young up-and-coming player for the Bruins already has seven goals um, obviously Patrice Bergeron David Krejci uh, this team is always in the mix they're always dangerous they're good in net with Tuka Rask 
You still have Zidane Ochara. Yes, I know he's declining. But when you have those core players in place, this team is always going to be dangerous. And when those core players are always are, are in place, there are always going to be players I dislike on this team. So it's always a it's always a fun matchup against them, and I'm looking forward to it. I'll be able to catch a good amount of the Sabres game before the Bills game start. I don't or the Bills game starts. I don't know how many of you out there are fans of both teams, but um, when both teams win, it's a lot of fun. When they both play on the same day, if they both lose, it can uh, it can be kind of a struggle, make it tougher to go to work the next day. But hopefully, I'll have one out soon after that game. Have a fantastic rest of your weekend, and thank you for listening.